Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind him. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams gonna throw. One on one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's gonna take it. for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Hunter Barth. Good gosh, dirty! This is the Heel Tough Blog What's going on, guys? It's the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Coming back at you here on a Tuesday night to recap the Tar Heels win over the Syracuse Orange as they uh, take them down 42-7. So we're going to dive into everything Syracuse. Uh, as you guys notice, I am back at the house. Hopefully uh, the internet connection is a little bit better than it was the last time for you guys. I know we were having issues on our end. Uh, the good news is it did not seem to come over too much, at least to you guys. We didn't get a ton of messages about it, but hopefully um, if it did, uh, you guys were able to sort of, uh, you know, suffer through that one a little bit. But now here we are back on schedule uh, as uh, now Carolina sits 5-0. and And uh, look, I mean, it was weird being away from Keenan Stadium, but uh, I got to tell you, if they're going to put up performances like that, I may never be allowed back in the stadium ever again. Carolina turns in their most dominant performance, not only of this season, but you could argue, you know, when you compare it with some of the other games that Carolina has played, might be their most dominant win that they've had under Mac Brown in terms of the way that they played on both sides of the football. Uh, just from the word go, you could tell that things were a little bit different for the Tar Heels in this game. I thought, you know, the energy – Really all around for the team was tremendous, um, and it results in, in one of their biggest wins so far uh, that I can remember in, in my time watching them. And, uh, you know, look, that, that that had to feel good. I mean, I know it did for me watching that, especially, you know, with, with what we've seen from this team early this year. I think, you know, for them to get a win like that and continue to sort of build on what we've seen from them early in the season – I think that uh, was a big step. You know, we've heard so much about Mac Brown uh, and this team wanting to go from good to great. I think this was sort of a step in that direction when you come out and dominate an opponent like Syracuse the way they did. I mean, Mac Brown said it was the best bye week practice he's ever been a part of. Um, that's saying something because he coached a, a pretty good team in 2005 at Texas that – 
won a national championship. And I'm not saying Carolina is a national title type of team. This is what I took away from it because uh, I don't think Syracuse is very good. Um, I said that going in. And I thought Carolina was capable of doing what they did on Saturday, which was dominate an inferior opponent. That's what they didn't do last year. Um, and that's why I never really bought in after a nine and one start because you were winning one possession games with teams like Syracuse a year ago. This game was over in the middle of the first quarter. Um, even though it was a two possession game, you could tell very quickly they had nothing on either side of the ball for Carolina. And we haven't seen that since 2015. Um, when you look back at that 2015 run to the ACC championship game, that's what Carolina did to their opponents. You, you go back and look at some of the big wins that propelled them to an ACC championship game appearance, Duke, Miami, you know, those games were over very, very early. And so that's what I liked. This was a team that, um, 0-4 after first bye weeks under Mac Brown, giving up 40 points per game. Um, and you would have thought those those numbers weren't factual with the way Carolina looked. So it was a real fun performance to be a part of because um, unlike in some games earlier, even this year, where you didn't really put away the South Carolinas, the Minnesotas, the way that you probably should have, you put away this 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 game pretty early and you know left no doubt from about the middle part of the first quarter on. Yeah, I mean, you, you're right about that. And, I mean, there were a lot of things that went into that. I mean, you're talking about probably the most dominant half that we've seen from Carolina, especially defensively, um, at least since Butch Davis was on campus. And, and look, there were maybe some other games, especially if you go back and uh, you look at some of the FCS box scores and everything like that, maybe along the way Carolina dominated uh, the way that they did in that first half. But, Man, that, that that was just pure domination from the word go. I mean, 424 yards of total offense to Syracuse's 70 in the first half. Uh, Tariel scored on all five of their first half possessions. And it really felt like, you know, Carolina came out and set the tone. And there's a lot of credit that needs to be given to everybody. But I thought the play that really changed everything for Carolina and really, it was it was a call that they got lucky that they got. But you have to credit Ben Kiernan for making the play. His block punt that turned into, you know, a, a call that could have been questioned on the field, just to be able to get to that point where you put it in the referee's hands, I think that was huge for Carolina because they end up sticking with the call on the field. I think most of us would probably agree that it was not a first down. But yeah, really, it wasn't. There, you know, Carolina drives down the field, scores a touchdown, and then they're up two possessions early in the second quarter. What do we talk about? The big one of our keys to the game and the final key to the game, which I don't, you know, we don't necessarily go into, you know, the the most important or whatever. But I still feel like that was one of the ones that was crucial for Carolina in this game. They needed to come out and score early, and they did. And I think that was sort of what allowed them to run away with it. So a lot of credit needs to be given to Ben Kiernan, who got banged up on that play, just to even make it close. I thought that was really what turned the game. Because I got to tell you, when Carolina, you know, that that punt gets blocked, 
Uh, if he would have been marked short, it would have been on their side. I believe it was right near about the 40-yard line. Um, Syracuse would have had great field position, a chance to drive down and score. Um, and, and you really do wonder what could have happened for Carolina if that one doesn't end up going their way. Because I know, look, I know Carolina got them off the field on that first drive of the game. But Syracuse did, you know, run a couple of promising plays for their running game to begin the game. And then Carolina was able to batten down the hatches for, and, and end that drive pretty quickly. But you still just wonder how much different the game is if that play doesn't happen by Kiernan, just to at, at least make it close for the referees to have to call it and ultimately stick with the call they made on the field. Yeah, I mean, look, that's what good teams do is they take advantage of the opportunities that are given to them um, and kind of made you forget that in back-to-back games you had a punt block, um, which is just another sign that, you know, the special teams is still not quite so special because you're still making mistakes that better teams would would, would, would capitalize on. Um, you know, the, the fact that, that Kiernan just had the awareness to pick the ball up. And, like, a lot of times when you see that, what does a punter try to do? They kind of run somewhere else and try to just kick the ball. And a lot of times it works. I mean, Well, he had punted it. He had punted already, so he wasn't able. He had no choice. It was either yeah, pick so it up like, and run or nothing. So, yeah, so he, he did a really good job of, you know, trying to make something out of nothing. Um, he – he was short of the first down, but granted, the way that he got hit, by God, he deserved to to get the first down. The way that face mask looked should have been but, a targeting. How do you, you get know, hit in that part of the head, and it's not a targeting? It doesn't make any sense. So that that was the thing that I liked was that Carolina was just able to okay, well now you we got a free possession. Now we're going to make you pay for it. And look, there was a lot of talk on Syracuse's end coming in that what happened a year ago what happens under dino what happens under dino babers isn't going to happen which is we're going to start fast because we play nobody then we're going to get our butts kicked by a good football team and it's going to crumble our season well they started fast because they played nobody they got their butts kicked by a uh not so great clemson team and all this talk was that we were going to go to chapel hill we were going to compete it was just all talk because Carolina just marched right down the field and, and effectively put the game away for good. And so um, I think that's what you got to like as a Carolina fan, as a team that has slept walk, it, it's felt like through portions of every single one of their games to start the year, there's just been moment and lapses where they weren't all there and they let games and teams hang around longer than what they should have been. That didn't happen on Saturday. Um, and I think that's something that you should be, you should be encouraged by because that's been one of the biggest issues under Mac Brown is they haven't been able to put games and teams away the way that they need to. And it's cost them games, i.e. last year when you blew a 17, nothing lead to Georgia tech. Um, and, 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 you know, this wasn't a team that was, you know, taking an opponent lightly, which you've seen that happen as well. This looked like a team well, that was on a mission. Um, and that was, that was to an embarrassing opponent. And, I got to say, it was pretty fun watching that type of football. Yeah, I, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much they read. Like Syracuse was basically just trying to, I guess, keep a positive mindset to start the year. I I, I mean, I don't I don't really know. I mean, I wouldn't blame them because last year you started six and zero and you finished six and seven. So there's and not they really started four and zero and they're probably they're probably going six and six. Like they're a bowl team because. They literally play like the bottom of the ACC 
like they play the Virginia Techs, the Pittsburghs moving forward. But let's like, you know, this they're not a good team, like top to bottom. I, I mean, and I, yeah. and I think that got exposed by Clemson, and then Carolina took it to another level. And you're going to see it to another level this weekend when they go to Tallahassee and, you know, the Seminoles run them out of the building like Carolina did very early. Yeah, I mean, look, the wheels can certainly come off. And that'll be interesting to sort of look at how their game against Florida State compares with Carolina's game. I mean, look, I get what you're saying. And it, I, I will say this. Last weekend against Clemson, that game was close going into – I mean, it was still in doubt, I should say, going into the fourth quarter. I mean, look, Clemson, I, I think, played them pretty damn well, especially. And, I mean, they get the late touchdown to sort of pull away from them. But, you know, I, I thought Carolina clearly played them better than than Clemson played them. Um, I mean, it was just dominance. Like, there was no point. Syracuse comes out, they score the first drive of the second half. And, I mean, look, everybody probably had that little thought in the back of their mind of, oh boy, hopefully we don't let them back into the game here. Carolina immediately responds to that. And that really just, you know, set off, you know, the second half where Carolina wasn't dominant. They didn't come out and, and, and play the way that they did in the first half. Although I got to be honest, was anybody really expecting that? I mean, they would have had nearly 900 yards of total offense. Um, so I, I think, you know, they did exactly what they needed to do. You had mentioned this, you know, in the offseason. We got to find games on this schedule, even with how tough it is. We got to find games where you can get some of these backups, some of these younger guys, uh, some reps. And, and they did. You know, Connor Harrell was seen in this game. You saw a lot of the younger guys on offense, even some of the younger guys and walk-ons on defense. Like, that's the point that you were hoping to get at. I don't know if like, I'm going to tell you right now, we were sitting there the other night. At no point did I ever expect that to be in that in, in this game. I thought maybe we would see that against Virginia, and you were hoping that you'd be able to see it again against Campbell probably, and that might have been it. Um, but the fact that they were that dominant, I mean, a lot of credit needs to be given to this team overall. The guy that I think probably deserves the most credit, um, and look, you know, we, we talked early in the season about his struggles holding on to the football. That was really our only concern with him. Outside of that, we thought Drake may have been playing really, really good football. And he put together his most complete game, just like the team did the other day. 497 yards of total offense, four total touchdowns, 442 through the air, and three of those touchdowns uh, by way of pa the pass. Um, I, I mean – you can't really say much more about him. I, I thought he looked as good, as under control as he has looked um, maybe in, in his entire career. I mean, it's got to be right up there with that game that he played last year against Wake Forest, which is where he had his most passing yards and most total yards. This game was second in both of those categories, just right behind that. Um, and, and I mean... Just, just some of the throws. I mean, I thought that throw to Bryson Nesbitt was simply phenomenal. And when you go back and watch it, um, you know, so Jordan Reed, who, who's a guy, I believe he's with ESPN now, and he's their NFL draft analyst, breaking it down, recognizing the pressure uh, coming off of his left side, able to step to his right and then throw a perfect, uh, just drops one perfectly into Bryson Nesbitt. I mean, man, what a game from the Tar Heels star quarterback. And it's one that I think probably puts him back in the Heisman Trophy conversation. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I had a conversation the other day on WFNZ talking about this is an important month for Drake because you look at the schedule, very formidable, because you had three home games against three teams that um, you're going to be favored to beat, and that's going to be the case, especially with what happened to Miami the other night and a road game at Georgia Tech that will set up what could be the biggest November in the history of Carolina football. Um, and I, I, I've made it known that, like, look, he's – I think there's a gap from Caleb Williams to him. He isn't in the Heisman Trophy conversation uh, going into last week. I do think, like you said, you know, he reentered that conversation. But this month allows him to kind of, kind of remind the college football world that he's still that guy because Caleb Williams is dominating at a, a you know, an unforeseen level. You look at what Michael Penix Jr. has done for Washington – Bo Nix for Oregon. Those two are going to square off in the game of the year this Saturday. Um, a lot of attention's gone out west, and rightfully so. But this month is going to allow Drake to remind the cultural world that there's he's still pretty darn on good, too. And there'll be a national uh, audience this Saturday that'll get a chance to watch him play against Miami. And he was sensational on Saturday. Um, that throw he made to Bryson Nesbitt, I mean, that's – how do I say this and not – it was Mahomes esque the way he got the pressure, moved away from the pressure, and then threw a dive. It, it may be the best throw he's made as as Carolina's quarterback from an NFL perspective, with everything that went into making that pass look as seamlessly uh, flawless as he did. And so he was dominant. He was in command, and I think um, it's time to say Carolina made the right offensive coordinator hire. Because as down as we were on Chip Lindsey, and I might have been more down on him than, than you were, because I thought it was just an irresponsible hire um, by Mac Brown to hire a guy who's lost his play calling duties his last two uh, his last two stops. I think we learned, A, he hasn't had the quarterback that he's had in Drake May, and maybe Gus Malzahn's just a control freak. Because this offense that Chip Lindsey is putting together um, – I like it more. I trust it more than I ever trusted Phil Longo's in big moments um, because it's more balanced. It's more uh, – it, I, I still think it's as explosive when it needs to be. Um, and it's it's an offense that – and I think it's even though Drake's throwing four picks in five games, it's more careful with the football. And so um, it was a lot of fun watching him uh, play the way he played on Saturday because – um, it was it was as dominant a performance I've seen from him and that I've seen from a Tar Heel quarterback in my lifetime. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think the only game that probably compares to it was how he played last year against Wake Forest. Um, but even, even that game, you know, you just felt like, I mean, this one, it, it, you had a, a, a few different highlight reel plays. Like he had another shovel play that he had earlier in the game where he just – flings one out I forget which tight end I think caught it and and I mean it's just the instincts are there man this dude can make plays like nobody's business um I, I just you know with Chip Lindsay I mean yeah I I thought the people that were blasting him early in the year were just crazy to be honest with you I, I mean I, I thought that you know the games that they were questioning him I, I thought Honestly, he did the right thing, becoming a little more conservative late in the game. And I don't think that's something that we would have seen from Phil Longo. I think the aggression still would have been there and it could have cost Carolina. You're right. This is an offensive scheme that 
it feels like you can trust more because it also coincides with your defense. It's a scheme that seems to be helping your defense at the same time it's helping your offensive efficiency. Like this is a team right now. I mean, they were six for seven in the red zone again the other night. The only turnover was a turnover on downs late in the game. Or, or was the fight? It was, it was either a fumble the turnover, that wasn't Drake's fault. The fumble that was late in the game. That's it. So, like, you're talking about an offense that right now is about as efficient as it has been under Mac Brown's, you know, second tenure. And I mean, it, it looks it looks the part. I mean, the explosiveness is still there. I mean, I'm not going to say that it's it's as explosive as it's been in years past, but it, to be honest with you, it's almost better. Um, I, I still uh, I think we undervalued how much being able to efficiently move the football down the field would help this team, and you're seeing it on the defensive side of the ball. We'll talk more about them here coming up, but I mean. Still, I think offensively, you know, it's, it's allowing them to sort of wear teams down as the game goes along. And you saw that in this one, really in the first half. I mean, Carolina wore them down in the first quarter with the running game, and it really transitioned over. And, and that's the thing that, you know, I want to talk about next. I thought the way that Carolina set the tone on the ground was fantastic because the last couple of weeks – um, you know, prior to this game against Minnesota and against Pittsburgh, Carolina was not able to run the ball. Now, a lot of that, and I think you saw it on Saturday, was because Willie Lampkin wasn't in there. You could say whatever you want about guys having to take that step up. And I know that you were somebody that brought this up a lot, the FCS or the group of five level. Well, Carolina has nailed it, I think, with Huzzy. And Lampkin, those two guys, I think, have been phenomenal because I think Lampkin showed you again the other day that he might be this team's best offensive lineman. Just looked completely different with him in there. Now they moved him to right guard, kept Ed Montalus in there, who was playing pretty well. He wasn't great the other day in terms of, uh, you know, pass pro, but I thought he did a good job in the run game. And that's really what set the tone for Carolina. They run for 109 yards in the first quarter. Uh, which is almost half of the total yards that Syracuse had in the entire game. Um, and, and, I mean, it just – it really set the tone for everything. Amari and Hampton did a great job uh, handling the bulk of those carries on the ground. Drake May was able to get loose a little bit. And I think that really sort of, you know, settled Syracuse into the box. And once Carolina was able to get these guys one-on-one – this game was over because Drake may just started shredding them apart. So I think, you know, this running game, we've talked about this. We talked about it a lot under Phil Longo because we had to, because they did not realize that running the football was the key to opening the offense up. I thought the other day, and I, I, I will say this, I think the staff wanted to do this in the prior two games, but simply couldn't. I think in this game, you saw that when this team and this offense is functioning at its best, it's when this running game can sort of set that tone early and open up this passing game in the second quarter on. Yeah, I mean, I think what what you saw the other night was um, – because I wasn't concerned. that I thought Carolina was going to be able to run the ball because I, I, Syracuse's defensive line isn't Pittsburgh. It's not, it's not Minnesota's. But what Lindsay has understood 
is that he's using his running game to set up his passing game. And the thing that I love about this offense is the things that they do on the first and the second drive, it's, it's, it's building for later on in the game. And that's why this offense has been so efficient. Whereas Phil Longo, he never called plays. He never designed the offense to, to build for down the future. He just looked at it as is my defense sucks. I've got to go get points. I'm not worrying about setting things up for in the second half or whatever. But Carolina has done that so far this year, and they did that the other night because they ran the ball um, to the two that you mentioned over 100 yards in the first quarter. And then by that point, you know, you're, you're getting favorable matchups in the passing game. And then if you were given a light box, you would just hand the ball off and you're getting six, seven yards. And and the thing that Carolina has achieved is they've got they've got uh, they've got balance. They they can throw it for you know forty times and get them and they get the yards they want, and they can run it forty times and get the yards they want. The other day they did both. They threw it a lot and they ran a lot and they racked up a lot of yards and a lot of points along the way. And so um, I think that's something that um, I was encouraged to see because I told you that if they couldn't move the ball. In the ground game, I'd be a little bit concerned about this offensive line mm-hmm. uh, moving forward. There'll be a tougher test this weekend against Miami. But outside of that, you should feel pretty confident, you know, the rest of this month at least against the Virginias and the Georgia Techs that Carolina is going to be able to run the ball on them to, to really put Drake May in, in a favorable position to, to make the throws he needs to make in the offense. So um, it, it was a complete dominant offensive performance up front on Saturday. And that's why Carolina put up the numbers that they did. Yeah. I, I mean, like I said, I think there were maybe that, that left guard spot, you know, with Montalus, you give it maybe another week because I thought he played really well in the two games prior that he was subbing in for Willie Lampkin. Maybe you give it another week with him at left guard and see if he can get a little bit better uh, in pass pro. But other than that, I mean, look, can we say this five games in? I mean, this offensive line is so much better than we thought, um, especially with the concerns that that we heard coming out of camp about how bad this group was looking. Um, you know, I, I I think they found the right guy at left tackle. I think Diego Pounds just continues to progress, and he's been really, really good. I thought the other day was probably his best game that he's played so far. And then, you know, you, you look – Everywhere else, I mean, with a bunch of shuffling pieces, guys have been moving around that offensive line all year. I still think Carolina has found a way to be really, really good down there. And, yeah, hopefully that's going to lead to more success for the running game. That I'd like to see the running game be a little bit more consistent, but that's, that's really just nitpicking at this point. Um, I still think if you can get the type of production that you got from that unit the other day, um, especially if it's going to carry you early in games and really set things up. You can't be mad about that. And, you know, just real quick, going back to the conversation about Chip Lindsey, I think a lot of credit not only has to be given to him, but it has to be given to the other guys that are involved. Remember, you have Lonnie Galloway, who's the passing game coordinator, and you got Freddie Kitchens, who's the running game coordinator. So I think, you know, everything is just kind of working together. And maybe that's what Chip Lindsey needed is a group of guys that can sort of help him out, um, you know, sort of set things up around him and then allow him to call plays 
Um, I, I think everything is just working really well for this Tar Heel offense right now. And not to mention, they're now at full strength. Tez Walker, first game out there, six catches, 43 yards. I thought he was pretty good, um, you know, especially especially for a first game. And the thing is, is that I know he has been out there with the team recently, but you have to remember that once Carolina got into the season, really after the first week of the year where they were still kind of in limbo, they were hoping that they were going to be able to have him play, and they didn't find out until the Thursday night before the game. Um, I, I thought, you know, for him having to work with the second unit, not really being – alongside Drake, I thought he looked really good in this game. And I think the big thing that he did was just his presence on the field and the threat of what we saw from him on tape, what Syracuse saw from him in his time at Kent State. It really opened up a lot of other guys, a lot of other pass catchers to make plays throughout the day, and Carolina took advantage of that. Yeah, I mean, you now have got a legitimate – uh, vertical deep threat that's going to be able to take the top off the defenses. And we know that Drake is very good with the short to interme- uh, intermediate stuff. And now it's it really, it really makes guarding Carolina's passing game almost impossible because they've got running backs they can throw it to. They've got tight ends they can throw it to. They've got guys that they can throw it over the middle. Um, and then you've got a guy that can burn just about any secondary in the country if he just runs a go route. And so – um, I thought the the most important thing was the staff eased him into it because, you know, there was a lot of energy and emotion from him, a lot of energy and emotion from his teammates. Uh, the, 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 the stadium was electric. You know, he carried out the flag as it ran out of the tunnel. But they didn't force anything. They let the game come to him. Um, they tried their best to get him a touchdown just to let him have that type of moment. Um, and really let the fan base celebrate it. It just didn't happen. Carolina. Drake had him. Drake had him yeah, in the first it was, quarter. It was he was open and he missed him. Um, it was like the only mistake he made, you know, mm-hmm. of the entire day. Maybe we should bench him, you know, because he just wasn't perfect. I'm just, I'm kidding. But um, so that was the thing was that they, 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 they did the right thing with them. And you see, you see what this passing game can be because. You you can't take Kobe Pesor off the field after the play he made. You can't take Nate McCollum off the field after the plays he's made. You can't take J.J. Jones off the field after the plays that he's made this year. You're now tasked with getting four wide receivers involved in the passing game, along with three tight ends. And Carolina did a really good job mixing all those guys in the other day. And it's why um, you just feel confident because you got the right quarterback to spread the ball around to all these types of dudes. Um, you know, there are some great quarterbacks that are in the, that are still in college football that would lock in on one or two dudes and great, get, get, get great results. Look at Kyle McCord at Ohio State. Has two legitimate guys and is still working out for him. Well, Drake's got seven. And good luck to the rest of the, uh, the ACC trying to figure out a way to stop him. Yeah, and that doesn't even count British Brooks, who had six catches in this game as well. Uh, and really show that he could be a threat out of the backfield. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely one of those issues that moving forward, you know, kind of how do you keep everybody satisfied? But I think the thing is, is look, he showed the other day, I'll just throw for more yards. Like, I got this many different guys that can affect the game. I'll find a way to get everybody involved. Um, McCullum, I mean, look, we thought that he had a chance to do that coming into this game just because of what Tyler Brown did the previous week for Clemson. 
I thought he was outstanding. And, and, and once again, you talk about tone setters. I thought, you know, for that those first few drives, that was Drake's guy. He was able to lock in on him and really get him the football. And then once he was settled in, that allowed him to sort of spread things out the rest of the day. So I thought that was huge. And it shows just how impactful he is as another guy that's come in as a transfer. You know, I think a lot of people were wondering when they brought him in, you know, why do you need him? You got a guy, guy like Kobe Pesor. Look, I think Kobe Pesor could probably do the same things. But, I mean, at this point, you can't really argue with what you've seen from Nate McCollum. I think in the two games where Carolina's really needed him, he's been outstanding. And then Kobe Pesor the other night gets, you know, his uh, his yards as well with one of the best catches that you're going to see. Uh, a pass that's behind him, he tips it to himself and then takes it all the way to the house for a touchdown because of just how he tapped it to himself and sets himself up to run down the field. I mean, this team, it just shows you this passing game right now is just so fun to watch. Not only because of all the guys that are there, but I mean, you're, you're looking at guys that are just so different in how they play as well. And I think that's what, you know, if you're a Carolina fan, you have to be excited that there's so many different ways offensively that they can win. You know, that was the biggest thing when people tried to compare this team to 2021 I think we all knew immediately this was not the 2021 team because of just how many different guys can hurt opposing defenses. You didn't have that back in 21. You had Josh Downs, Ty Chandler at times, but they didn't use him the way that they were supposed to. And I think that that was really it. You didn't really have much else until Antoine Green eventually broke out. This group is so much different. A lot of credit needs to be given to to the staff but especially to these players that have played really well. Let's go over to the defensive side of the football. And, I mean, look, I did not think that we'd be sitting here after five games talking about another great defensive performance from Carolina. This is two in the first five games of the year where Carolina has simply been dominant defensively. I mean, that was unimaginable. We asked this group to be average, and I think – Ultimately, it's probably going to end up being average when you look at, you know, possibly some of the games coming up. You saw it a little bit against App State um, and at times, you know, against the running games of Pittsburgh and Minnesota. But I mean, this defense at this point, I mean, you cannot really ask for much more of an improvement from this group. Um, The way that they looked in that first half the other day was unbelievable. I don't think anybody could have saw that coming, especially against a mobile quarterback. We mentioned that was the first time they were facing a mobile quarterback this year. That has been such a bugaboo for Carolina on the defensive side of the football for years. Doesn't matter what defensive coordinator has been there. And it included last year. And Carolina in this game, I mean, shut down Garrett Schrader's legs, allowed just uh, 92 rushing yards on 28 carries. Uh, just 129 yards through the air and 221 yards total to Syracuse. Carolina allowed just 11 first downs the entire afternoon to Syracuse. The Tar Heels themselves had 13 first downs in the second quarter alone. So this was just the dominant all-around performance. And then another area where we talk so much, and I think this was what really 
sort of got Carolina in the position each and every drive for them to succeed. We talk so much about Carolina's struggles on first down so far this year. Well, they were absolutely dominant in this game. 21 first downs for Syracuse. They allowed just an average of 2.9 yards per attempt. And that really sort of put Syracuse a little bit behind in terms of some of the other teams that Carolina has faced here, put them in second and eventually third and long. And I think that was a huge difference in this game. So much credit has to be given to this defense that just, I I think at this point, just continues to keep surprising us each and every week. It's what happens when you win up front. And that's what Carolina did so, so well the other day was – they they won up front and what and what the this defense asks you to do, it's not it's not anything it's not rocket science, it just asks you to do your job, and when you do your job, it it allows the guys that need to make the plays to make the plays. We know how good Carolina's linebacking core is, but what gets lost is that it's hard to see how good they are when you're when your defensive line's getting blocked into them. It hasn't happened as frequently this year. And so you've seen Sed Gray, who can be an All-American. You've seen Power Eccles, who can be an All-ACC type of guy. You're seeing those guys make plays. Um, You've got a secondary that is as physical a secondary as we've seen since the first time Gene Chizik was here. And you go back to that that, that career with Des Lawrence and those guys, they may not have been ball-hawking safeties, but they were physical in the passing game and, and made plays. Uh, on the ball. And so while what you're seeing is a unit that, you know, probably isn't as talented as what Carolina has recruited their defense to be since Mac Brown has come back. But what you've got is guys that fit the scheme better. And there's just a, there's just, there's just a bigger buy-in. And we talk about this like all the time, you know, when we talk to defense and basketball, where a lot of it is, is want to. It's the same thing in football. Like, you got to want to get off blocks and make tackles. Something that Carolina has struggled to do. They've done a much better job at shredding and taking on blocks, you know, taking on, you know, double teams and still making plays because that's what it takes. If you look around the, you look around the country in a sport where it's hard to play high level defense anymore, the teams that still do it have the, the, the teams or the players that give the maximum amount of effort. And they're guys doing what they're asked to do. And I think what you've seen Gene Chizik do is scale back what he's asking, who he's asking about him, and just ask him to do these these little things, and it's going to cultivate in a really good product. They entered the game averaging giving up 22 points per game. That number got lowered significantly because you gave up seven. That's the type of defense that makes it easy to see this team getting back to Charlotte. Because you know the team's going to score. We're not worried about the offense scoring. But you're worried about in a, in a, in a conference where it's the two best teams. It's not, two, it's not division winners getting there. You worry about the shootout losses that have played Carolina in the past really coming back to haunt them. You look at the, the schedule. I mean, is the best offense they play the rest of the way Miami? Maybe Duke if Raleigh Leonard's back and he's 100% healthy. Probably. Clemson, I wouldn't count Clemson out either, especially as they get later in the year. I mean, mean, we don't know, but, like, there's no reason to sit there and not think that Carolina's going to play its remaining schedule and give up 24 points or more. 
And if they give up 24 or less, it's hard to imagine them losing more often than not to keep them out of the ACC championship game. Yeah, and I mean, it's just, honestly, it's just so weird. Like, I think everybody at this point probably has that thought in the back of their head with this defense, when is it going to go wrong? But, I mean, look, we've been thinking that for five weeks, and it hasn't. I mean, this this unit, I think, and look, I don't know if it's because of the coaching being better I think that's certainly a part of it. I think Jason Jones, what a phenomenal job by Mac Brown to go out and bring him in. That that was a great hire. That has paid off. These corners have been so good for the entirety of this season. You have to give a ton of credit to the staff for finding Elijah Huzzy in the transfer portal. What a gem that dude is. I mean, another interception in this game only allows one of his three targets to be caught. I mean, he is right now one of the best corners in the ACC. And last year, we had guys that were one guy that was a former five-star and a guy in Storm Duck who was a three-star, but that Carolina had high expectations for after his true freshman season. These were guys that were highly regarded, preseason all-ACC members. They never even looked close to being all-ACC guys. And now you're seeing that him, I, I, I know, you know, he, he didn't grade out well for this game, but I still think Marcus Allen is playing really well this season. I mean, that defensive backfield, I, I thought Don Chapman the other day was really good. Um, he, he did a great job helping in the run game. Uh, I think he has been as good of a safety for Carolina in, in coverage uh, as we've seen probably since Miles Dorn left campus. Um, so, I mean, it's just – you're seeing a lot of different guys step up there. You mentioned the defensive front. And look, the other day, didn't get a ton of pressure on the quarterback. Uh, if you look at just the, the pressure numbers. But I mean, look, when you're dominating the way that they were, you don't really have to. I think the thing was, is what you talked about. And I think it goes into the interior of that defensive line, which we have talked about so much here as our really our one big concern with this team, uh, you know, out, outside of special teams, which – it just at this point, I mean, outside of, believe it or not, outside of Noah Burnett, which who would think we would say that coming into the year? Um, he has been phenomenal, by the way. Four more field goals the other day. Outside of the rest of the special teams unit, our big concern was the interior of the defensive line, which just wasn't able to win. That was a big reason why teams were able to run the football on Carolina so successfully. The other day, they were great. Miles Murphy had his best game in a year and a half. Um, and if you go back even to his his first year as a starter for Carolina when he was a sophomore. I thought it was Clemson's Miles Murphy on the field the other day. That's I mean, that was outstanding. Was. I mean, he was winning, you know, consistently up front, five total tackles in the game, one of them for a loss. Like, he looked really, really good. And then, you know, a guy we've been asked so much about here on the podcast you know, first few podcasts that we did on video form, how many times were we asked about Travis Shaw and where is Travis Shaw? Why is he not on the field? Well, he got his opportunity the other day with Kevin Hester Jr. out, and I thought he was fantastic. Um, three total tackles. I thought he did a good job of shedding blocks. And again, he's a guy that's still, he's working to build up his, his stamina. That's something that he definitely has to work on. There's no doubt about that. 
But I thought 26 snaps the other day. He was rotating in with a lot of different guys. I thought he looked fresh. I thought he was impactful. That's what you're hoping for from your interior defensive lineman. And that doesn't even mention a guy that got really the most impactful snaps. Not the most snaps of his career, but the most impactful snaps. Kedrick Bingley-Jones played a little bit more the other day, and I thought he looked pretty good as well. He had a quarterback pressure, actually had a hit uh, registered on Garrett Schrader. I thought he did some good things as well. I, I mean, this, this interior of the defensive line, the talent has always been there. It's just about when was it going to show up, and it did the other day. Now it's about I know it's not going to be consistent probably this season because of how quiet they were early. But in these big games, Carolina needs this group to show up and at least be better than they were in the first four games of the year. And they were on Saturday. What they did the other night is, is what championship caliber defenses do. And that's wear down an offensive line because mm-hmm. Carolina was rotating dudes. They were fresh. Um, Travis Shaw, he's like a magnet. Once he gets, you know, once he gets his hands on you, you're not going anywhere. He's got these big paws and he's like just a bear out there, you know, devouring fish in the river or something like that. And it's going to be, uh, hard to keep him off the field. So they need to get him, Mm -hmm. you know, in much better shape a lot quicker. But like what you saw from Miles Murphy is probably the reason why we've sat here and grabbed to complain about him is because, that type of that type of dominance exists in his skill set. I don't feel like as much as we have, you know, vented about this defense, we have asked more than what they're capable of doing. I think the the issue's always been, by God, we know you're capable because we've seen it, but we need to see it for four quarters and then for you know two games and three games, four games, five games. And that's what this defense is starting to do is it's starting to become just a lot more consistent as a unit. And that was something that didn't happen under Jay Bateman, where it would be certain units would play well while others certain, you know, others, others would not. It definitely wouldn't carry over from one game to the next, let alone, you know, a five game stretch where Carolina is giving up about 20 points per game. And, you know, I, I'll go back to 2015 because that, this is what that this season is starting to feel like. That's what that 2015 defense did so well. After they got the come-from-behind win on the road at Georgia Tech, after they gave up 21 points, but they really kept the team in it while the offense worked its way back into it. After that game, the defense did what it was asked to do, which was not give up a lot of points, create the turnovers when they needed to create them, and just be efficient. And that's what this defense uh, has done so far. The turnovers are starting to come. Um, you know, the, 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 good, the good things that they're doing from one week are carrying over to the next. They're finding more guys as they move along. And um, that, 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 that's what makes it a lot more believable that this 5-0 start, despite the schedule not saying you're playing great offenses, you can believe in this 5-0 start. Well, let's talk about that. You know, 5-0 and on the season. And, you know, Carolina, I think now 12th in the country. They're in a really good spot. Getting ready to host Miami. Uh, Miami, I mean, should have been a top 15 matchup. But just one of the biggest blunders I've ever seen in the history of sports. Would you believe it that my, my father, 
My father blamed the players. He said it was the players' fault. I mean, he's like, you're, he's like, you're not, you know, how do you blame the coach? I'm like, because in in what level of football, when the game is over, are you running plays? Kneel. And he goes, what if the quarterback would have kneeled? I'm like, quarterbacks don't fumble on kneels unless they just suck. Well, I mean, they could fumble the snap, but like, dude, in that case, like, it is what it is. I'm going to take my risk with that. Especially, you know, I, I mean, there's so many different ways you can kneel now. You don't even have to go under center. You can do it out of the shotgun. Like, <laughs> it, it, just one of the most idiotic moments I've ever seen in my life. But, I, I mean, again, I think it shows that Miami has flaws. And, look, Miami had flaws even before that. They, I mean, three turnovers. Ty, Tyler Van Dyke was not great in that game. Miami is, is certainly a gettable opponent. It's going to be a crazy environment in Chapel Hill on Saturday night, um, a primetime game. And, and and it's only fitting that it comes against Miami, which was probably the best environment that we've seen in Keenan Stadium uh, so far in our time going as fans. Um, I, I mean, I, it's to me like this team is five and oh, and I feel, I feel really good after the other day. And maybe, you know, I, I, I know there's still a lot of Toriel fans that are a little reserved. But, I mean, you're talking about a 4-1 and one Power 5 team that came in there. I get it that, you know, their schedule probably lended well to them being as good as they were statistically coming into the game. But I did not – I mean, there was no way I saw that coming. I did not see that level of dominance. And, and again, we have not seen this from Carolina really at, at any point that we've been watching the team. I know you said 2015. And yeah, I mean, some of those teams, it was later in the year. So clearly there were teams that rolled in that had worse records. And maybe, maybe Syracuse is a team that turns out to be, I mean, they could be four and eight at the end of the year. Who really knows with Syracuse? You never really do know. But I mean, that was a team that coming in, I think, matched up pretty well with you, especially their offense against your defense with some of the struggles that you had had historically. And you put together just a dominant performance. If it would have been one of those games where the defense still let up 30 points or something like that, but you just outscored them in an offensive shootout, okay, I totally understand. This team now, I mean, to hold a team to seven points in a game, a power five opponent to seven points in a game, you've held another one to 13 so far this year. And this is now three straight games that you have held the opponent under 200 yards passing. I mean, I'm feeling really good about that side of the ball for the first time in who knows how long. And you look at the offensive side of the ball. I mean, this offense is as efficient as we've seen it. I mean, it's hard not to feel really, really good about this Carolina team. And I think at this point you can say they are a legitimate contender in the ACC I know Florida State has a much bigger win on the resume but I think Carolina is not that far behind Florida State I I think we saw Florida State they were vulnerable against Boston College I think right now if you put these teams on the field if you put them on the field on Saturday in Charlotte I think Carolina would have a fighting chance to win that game which is something that when we if we told you that at the start of the year 
We told you we didn't have Carolina going to the ACC championship game, so we didn't think they would be on that level. But I think so far they're they're proving that they are more than exceeding our expectations, and and they are a legitimate contender. They're definitely in the conversation. I mean, I I think Florida State is is the best team in the conference. I think they're the best chance at getting a team to the playoff, unless unless Louisville is doing what TCU did a year ago, which has come completely out of nowhere and run the table. Um, and that's very much on on the table for Louisville. You don't beat Notre Dame the way no, they beat Notre Dame the other night by accident, because whereas what Notre Dame did to beat Duke was they wore Duke down. Notre Dame wore or Louisville wore Notre Dame down on, on both on, on both sides of the ball. They ran it down Notre Dame's throat. Not many teams have done that, you know, in the last 15 years, except the ones that have gone on to play for and win national championships. So I think that's the thing. When you look at Carolina's schedule uh, as compared to Louisville's, this is where the ACC ditching the uh, the divisions makes this answer tougher. Because if, if the Coastal was still a thing, by, by far, you would almost lock Carolina into Charlotte if they won this Saturday. But their three-game stretch to end the end the year, that Duke game is going to be tough because Raleigh Leonard will be back, and that team's legit. They may have the second best defense in the conference. You got to go to Death Valley. You got to go to NC State. There's a valid reason why our head coach complained about that stretch to end the season. But I think what Carolina is going to do is put themselves in a position to where they're going to be. There's a very good chance they could be nine and zero when 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 Duke comes to town in November. And I don't think even in our wildest dreams. Best case scenario, we thought eight and one because you didn't know about the opener with South Carolina. We know how tough it is to go to Pittsburgh or how tough it's been for this team to go to Pittsburgh. Um, and at some point, you know, because I got asked this today by our afternoon host, Kyle Bailey, do you think you're going to win the ACC? And I said, well, no, because I think Florida State's the best team in the conference. But also, like, there's this part of me that's watched this program for 15 years that says, Tar Heel football is going to Tar Heel football. But more than any other point in my life, I believe that it's real. And maybe it's because it's dumb in me and that I want to believe it's real because this is what, this is why whenever they hired Mac Brown, you and I argued because you didn't think it was the right hire. I thought it was because I thought he's the right guy that can make you believe and can get you to the moments that you're going to have this Saturday, which is a primetime game at home in October that, that that hasn't happened very often here and so um I think Carolina is is the second best team in the conference and I think as as much as any other team I've ever seen play this is as close to a conference championship caliber team I've ever seen in Chapel Hill yeah, and I mean, that's saying a lot because 2015, I, I think there were times we wanted to believe that, although I, I it mean, was, I it was that it, schedule, man. Like you played two FCS opponents. Oh, definitely. Um, and I don't yeah. think that defense was as good as this defense is. I think that defense was so opportunistic. Um, but I mean, in, in terms of just down to down, I don't think they, I, they were not great at stopping teams. They allowed a ton of yards. They just created a bunch of turnovers this defense right now the way they're playing I mean they're they're better 
Um, mm-hmm. I think this offense, like the, the reason that you can believe too is because you've got the best quarterback that has ever played at your school, man. All respect to Marquise Williams, um, who, who did special things. And I mean, who knows if you put him on this team, who knows what this team looks like. Same with Sam Howell. Both of those guys were tremendous. Drake May is another level, man. This dude is just, I mean, the way that he can take over games, the throws, the plays that he can make, it's hard for you not to believe in him. Everything is really stacking up. And you said, you know, Louisville's schedule sets up for them to be like TCU. I mean, I think that's certainly possible for them. I do think at some point, with it being Jeff Brom's first year there, there might be a game where they do end up slipping up. I mean, look, I, we can't say anything as Carolina. I mean, we've got games on the schedule. Like at Georgia Tech, that's that's a game that at this point, I mean, Tariel fans should be concerned about. I know that, you know, Georgia Tech is better than they were in prior years. But, I mean, at the same time, you feel like you should win that game. I, I mean, they showed you the other night they're, they're a legitimate team that's going to give everybody in the ACC trouble. So you got games like that, but I got to tell you, that's really one of the biggest tests Carolina has. I mean, I think right now, I mean, is it crazy to say that Georgia Tech's a better football team than NC State? I don't know if that means anything because you have the rivalry aspect of that game, but NC State's not great, man. They scored 48 the other night, which means their offense played well, but they let up 41 to Marshall. So that game's not looking nearly as difficult as it was to begin the season. Clemson isn't nearly as difficult as it was to begin the season. Now that's because some of us, including myself, had that team in the playoff. Um, but I, I mean, I think that it's still a tough game. But I think, you know, you saw Wake Forest, a team who is not playing anywhere near the level that they have in recent years. I mean, they almost went there and got a win the other night. That's not a, t- a, a a task that I think is crazy for Carolina to overcome. Mm. And then you look at the rest of the schedule. You know, you got this weekend against Miami. Clearly, very tough game. If Carolina wins that one at home against a team that they've had success against, though, you're feeling pretty good because then Virginia, who, you know, the only thing that scares me about that is the longer they go without a win – you imagine at some point they're going to find a way just, you know, through inspiration to pull one out. Um, you, you then have Georgia Tech, as we mentioned, Campbell. And, I mean, Duke, you cannot discount Duke. That might be the toughest. I mean, that, that may actually be the toughest game that Carolina has remaining outside of uh, outside of Clemson. But, yeah, I mean, I think it stacks up. Clearly, it's not what Louisville has. Louisville, as of this moment, they pretty much have a clear path. I know they still have to play Duke, but I believe is that in two weeks that they play Duke? So they're going to get Riley Leonard even earlier than Carolina will get him. So one, he may not be back, or if he is, he you know may still be a little hobbled. You do wonder what kind of factor that will have in Carolina's game against them later on this year. But I, th- I don't think it's crazy. I, I I mean, I will not say that Carolina will make the playoff right now. But I think the fact that people are having the conversation about them, I think for once there is a legitimate reason to have the conversation about them. You know, when we did it last year and there were people that, that were talking about, you know, the slim chances 
that that was really at that point us just wanting it. I think now there's legitimate things here that you can see with this team that make you say, okay, this makes sense. And you look at the teams that are in front of them, a lot of teams that can potentially, you know, beat themselves. I mean, you got a ton of Pac-12 teams that are up near the top of the country. They're going to beat up on each other. The SEC is always extremely tough. You'd imagine that, you know, Carolina has the schedule that can help them potentially stay in front of some of those other teams that have already taken one or two losses. Um, you know, the Big 12 is, is better than it's been. There's no doubt about that. Uh, or it's better at the top than it's been the last couple of years uh, with Texas and Oklahoma, both as legitimate candidates. But you never really know. They could eat each other up as well. So, I mean, I, I think Carolina, the biggest thing is, is you just have to take it one week at a time. That sounds cliche, but if you do that, I think you do have a legitimate chance. A couple of notes on the way out here, guys. I did mention a couple of injuries along the way. Ben Kiernan, uh, the punter, Mac Brown updated him the other day, said lower body injury as of this moment. He is going to be monitored throughout the week. Guys, this is a big one. If, if he can't play, this means that Carolina's punting game, which is already struggling a little bit, not the punter, really the punt protection, and really every element of this uh, punting game for Carolina uh, or every element of this uh, special teams for Carolina outside of the kicking spot and kickoff, uh, the, the actual kickoff man, the uh, coverage unit, not so great. Um, it, it is just in turmoil. Uh, but this would mean Cole Maynard would have to be the punter. Cole Maynard has punted a total of two times in his career to this point. He did not get a chance to punt the other day. So that this could definitely be an area of concern going into the next game. Meanwhile, Kevin Hester Jr., who missed the game the other day, he is questionable with a uh, lower body injury. Uh, they say they are going to monitor him throughout the week as well. But as Carolina showed you, plenty of depth there at the defensive tackle spot if they have to go another week or two without him out there. Uh, everybody else, you know, uh, the guys that are out long term, still out long term. Didn't see much of Legend Cavazos, but he is back. Uh, he did dress the other day, so he will be uh, out there at some point for Carolina, you would imagine, as the season goes along. Um, and uh, one more kick time that was announced, the game against the Virginia Cavaliers. Another later kick, 6.30, and that's right, ladies and gentlemen, the CW for the first time. Carolina will be on the CW. Uh, a lot of people, I cannot believe the amount of people that just found out that the ACC is on the CW. It really tells you the types of games that they've had on there to begin the season. Uh, but Carolina will be on there against Virginia on the 21st, 6.30 kickoff for that one against the Cavaliers. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. Guys, make sure you head over to the website, Heel Tough Blog. Dot com. Check out all the coverage we have from the Syracuse game. We've got the recap up there. Stock report will be going up tomorrow. Uh, and then uh, we will have, you know, all the coverage uh, rolling over into the game against Miami with a preview recap and stock report after that one as well. We got that injury update up there for you guys. If you want to read a little bit more in depth about what's going on with both Ben Kiernan and Kedrick Bingley, uh, or excuse me, and uh, and Kevin Hester Jr. Um, so make sure you go over to the website and check that out. Meanwhile, uh, you guys can also head over there and check out uh, the basketball side of things. 
Well, Josh just put up an article today talking about pressure, how it's on Carolina every single year, but uh, especially this year uh, with Hubert Davis uh, seemingly, in most people's minds, having to make the NCAA tournament if he wants to stay in Chapel Hill. Uh, a lot of people, you know, they're, they're sort of all over the place on where they think this team could land this season. But uh, basketball season, guys, is right around the corner, less than a month until the start of the season for Carolina basketball. Um, we're going to have you covered all throughout the year. Josh will have you on the website, and then me and him will have you on the Four Corners uh, side of things. Make sure you check out the latest edition as well of that, where Josh breaks down the Hubert Davis press conference. So, once again, that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. want to thank Josh for hosting with me. want to thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, go Tar Heels! Thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.